Hello and welcome to Paincast, conversations on pain and physiotherapy. This podcast is brought to you by the Pain Science Division of the Canadian Physiotherapy Association. I'm Tiffany, a physiotherapy student at the University of Toronto. Today, it's my pleasure to have Rob Wurstein joining us. Rob Wurstein holds an advanced practice provider position in the Rapid Access Clinic for Low Back Pain at the London Health Sciences Centre. He also holds an adjunct teaching appointment in the School of Graduate Studies at Western University. He has spent his career opening access to healthcare for Canadians through the development of non-physician specialists. As chair of the orthopedic division, he helped create the first and only degree-granting clinical master's program for physiotherapists in orthopedics at Western University in 2007. As president of the Canadian Physiotherapy Association, he helped create a national clinical specialist program in 2012. Through the establishment of Key Clinical Skills Incorporated, which has been providing advanced practice education across Canada since 2016, he has continued to improve the ability of hundreds of non-physician healthcare professionals to take on advanced practice roles. In this episode, we talked about the value of advanced practice providers in the healthcare system, the current advanced practice model, and how physiotherapists are well positioned to respond to the needs of better pain management in Canada. Enjoy. Hi, Rob. How are you doing today? Great, Tiff. Thanks for inviting me. I appreciate being here. Thank you so much for talking to our audience about advanced practice physio and pain. I'd love to have you introduce yourself to the audience. What do you do right now and how do you get here? It's always, sometimes it's always great hearing about people's journey. So at this point in time, I am currently an advanced practice physiotherapist working with the Rapid Access Clinic for Low Back Pain in London, Ontario. And we have also a Rapid Access Clinic for Knee and Hip Pain, which I've also done some work in, but I do primarily my work with this low back pain group. Uh, the journey for how I got here uh, is, um, I don't think it's necessarily unique. After finishing up school, I um, decided that I was um, needing some direction in terms of how to lay out the framework for how I was going to approach uh, assessing and treating patients. So I decided to do the orthopedic divisions level system. I think it's called the AIMS program now. And uh, so I completed that program back in 2005. And just before doing that, I also had the opportunity to head down to Australia. Uh, My wife did a clinical master's down in Perth, Australia, and uh, had some great, fantastic experiences down with her doing her clinical master's with Peter O'Sullivan and uh, Bob Elvey, uh, Michael Shackley. It was some great groups of people. Uh, One of the things that that led to was I was able to uh, help partner with some great people in Southwestern Ontario and Western and uh, help get the clinical masters of manipulation off the ground in 2007 at Western University while I was chair of the orthopedic division. And then after that, uh, I was president of the Canadian Physiotherapy Association for a little while. And we had some great wins with um, things like, for instance, um, specialization. And uh, we started our own uh, insurance program, uh, which helped keep money in the Canadian Physiotherapy Association. And then soon after that, I partnered up with Jack Miller and we began our journey with key clinical skills, looking at trying to create accessible and clinically relevant, useful information courses for physiotherapists so that they could learn and apply what they learned on Monday morning. And uh, we are currently uh, continuing to help uh, educate physiotherapists across the country in clinical practice in terms of um, Mission in terms of um, clinical reasoning and in other um, specific pathology-based education programs. And it was through that and our work that uh, I was uh, drawn to this advanced practice opportunity that came up in London and uh, moved into the advanced practice lead position in 2020. Wow. Sounds like a very long but exciting 
enjoyable journey that you had taken through the years? It was some, it did take some air miles and uh, it takes some time. And uh, it, uh, it certainly, certainly has been an adventure, which I hope is not over. We'll see. I'm, I'm hoping that, uh, I'm hoping the adventure will continue. Absolutely. So currently in what you're doing right now, what is your biggest goal you have? <laughs> well, the Rapid Access Clinic, uh, to give uh, you and your listeners some background, some may know about it, some may not. So the Rapid Access Clinics were, were created about three years ago. Um, when we look at healthcare in Canada, uh, also in the U.S. to extent, uh, in England, um, there are huge gaps in provision of care. And there are some huge gaps everywhere uh, that delay care, but it's especially prevalent in, in MSK, musculoskeletal care. Uh, your your heart is important enough that your family doctor can refer you to a cardiologist who decides whether you should see a cardiac surgeon. Your neurological system is so important that your family doctor can refer you to a neurologist who decides whether you should see a neurosurgeon. But if we look at hips and knees and, and O's and backs, um, those are so important that every single family physician was told they should just refer people straight to orthopedic surgeons. There was absolutely no triage process going on for the last hundred and some odd years for family physicians and uh, and their their access to orthopedic surgeons. And the rapid access clinic was born out of a need to reduce wait times and help decrease some costs associated with the care for people have experiencing musculoskeletal pain. So one of the things that we do, I describe this, my introduction, when I'm first introducing myself to a patient, the rapid access clinic was started about three years ago. It used to be your family doctor would send people that were having trouble with their back directly to see an orthopedic surgeon, but nine out of 10 people they sent were non-surgical. So on average, people would wait two and a half years to find out they really should have been doing something else other than waiting to see a surgeon. So now family doctors send people to see us at the rapid access clinic. What our job is, is to get those who are surgical to the surgeon quickly. And because the surgeon's not seeing those nine out of 10 that are non-surgical, we can facilitate access to a surgeon when necessary much, much more quickly now than we used to be able to. And what's more is those people who are non-surgical get to see us now in order to help with the pain that they're experiencing and look at ways that don't involve surgery and that, that where surgery is unnecessary, we're looking at ways to try to help mediate their pain. And so that that's essentially how we introduce the program to people. And, and that's how we introduce it to your listeners. Right. The rapid access clinic is able to shorten the time for patients to receive the appropriate care that they need because you basically triage those who need surgery. They go to the surgeons right away to receive surgery. And those who were non-surgical, you can provide a management or treatment plan right away so they don't have to wait for that process. That's exactly right, Tiff. And then we can provide some help with their management that they're getting in the community. We can provide advice and some direction as to appropriate care in the community with uh, physiotherapists, chiropractors, with whoever the patient's already seeing. We can help facilitate care with the family physician and help with some of the pharmacological management for people. Uh, again, one of our priorities is, of course, looking at the opioid crisis and, and very much trying to steer people away from those medications, which don't do a very good job with back pain. Hence, they were overprescribed because they didn't do a very good job and were hurting so many people because of that and help them with some pharmacological management, help them with psychosocial and any um, pain neuroscience education and provide some specific advice directed at the patient for their specific type of low back pain too. Lots of these people, unfortunately, as well, don't necessarily have the resources to access a great physio or, or a great chiropractor in the community. So we have to take on a little bit more of a hands-on approach uh, with helping them to manage because they just don't have just don't have the resources to access community care. So that's also a, another role that we often play. 
Mm -hmm. It sounds like that the role requires quite a bit of expertise on low back pain as a condition in general. And you earlier introduced yourself as an advanced practice physio. Are all practitioners working in rapid access clinics advanced practice physios? Well, and that's a great question. And in terms of our context here in Ontario, uh, an advanced practice physiotherapist or an advanced practice practitioner is a job description. It is not a title that if I leave my current position, I can take with me to my next position. So it's not like being a physiotherapist where I can work as a physiotherapist at this clinic or that clinic or this hospital. My title at the hospital is advanced practice physiotherapist, and that's not a portable title. It's a job description. So the college does not recognize that title, and uh, it is uh, only tolerant of the uh, job description. So uh, I am able to put advanced practice physiotherapist on my business card because of my job title right now. Now, most people um, are don't necessarily have uh, the same kind of background that that I have. One of the a few of the other things I did were uh, a research master's after I graduated from physiotherapy school. I completed a, a DPT uh, with a program from the United States and uh, have done um, have have worked at developing and deliver um, advanced practice education across this country from Vancouver Coastal Health to Nova Scotia to help train physiotherapists into this role. But what we do right now in terms of for an advanced practice physiotherapist is we spend a lot of time training them once they've been hired for the position. So we will spend anywhere from, uh, depending on their background, from three to six, even 12 months of training in order to get them to a level where they can facilitate care for a patient. And this includes medical imaging, this includes pharmacology, this includes uh, laboratory testing, includes education on uh, medical screening, and uh, as well as triage care. So it's, um, it's education that is often significantly outside of what entry to practice physiotherapists got in their degree program. So from what I understand, the NHS in England has a very similar model for advanced clinical practice and how to define it uh, is, quote, advanced clinical practice is delivered by experienced registered health and care practitioners. It is a level of practice characterized by a high degree of autonomy and complex decision making. This is underpinned by a master's level award or equivalent that encompasses the four pillars of clinical practice, leadership and management, education and research, with a demonstration of core capabilities and area specific clinical competence. For the model we have right now, and in what you described, you know, the training, the rapid access clinic, and comparing that to what you understand from the NHS at France practice model, do you see very similar things? What are the differences and what are the future directions uh, are we heading in, in terms of in Canada? Well, the NHS went through, um, ha has gone through a uh, extremely uh, rigorous and arduous uh, process uh, of defining roles in in their healthcare system, and they've done a fantastic job. Back in about 2000, the NHS was about to go broke, and they basically said, "Listen, who can help us?" And physiotherapy was in a position in England to put up their hand and say, "Listen, we can." And what we can do is we can create these advanced practice roles so that we can stop people from getting on wait lists that they don't need to be on. We we can take over controlling imaging so that people who need imaging will get it, but the multitude of people who do not need imaging to help facilitate their care, we can save money by making sure never get imaging. We can help with the opioid crisis because we know that uh, there are other medications that are better than opioids, and as well as looking at the active approach that we take with people to help facilitate care, we can help people, we can help avoid the growth of this opioid crisis. And most importantly, we can help family physicians who often are struggling in order to help take care of these people with MS, with MSK pain, we can help family physicians, we can 
unburden them so that they can spend time doing the things that they're really good at and facilitating care for prevention, uh, diabetes management, chronic disease management. We can help unload them so that they can do what they're really, really great at and help, and they can continue to help unload the healthcare system as it is. And the NHS said, yes, fantastic, and and got behind them 100%. Now, one of the great things about the current NHS model is that these physiotherapists are working in an independent practice role. So they uh, have different levels of uh, different bands that they have in the NHS. And as you work up to band seven, eight, nine, you can achieve the, the right, the ability to order imaging and it's not under delegated practice you have the uh, you have the right with under your licensure as a physiotherapist in England to order imaging you have the right under your licensure in England to prescribe medication you have the right under your license in England to inject into joints using ultrasound guided injections. And so they really have taken on the role of the orthopedist, which is something that doesn't really exist. And what is mandated is that no one gets to see a physician on nobody gets to see a surgeon unless they've been to see an advanced practice physiotherapist. And in England, they've shown that they've been able to decrease money that's been wasted on imaging that doesn't change the plan of care and doesn't change the outcome. And they have decreased uh, risk of opioid addiction. They have helped better facilitate pain management because the main thing is it's decreased the delay of getting patients more specialized care than what a family physician can provide without that long, long wait to see a surgeon. And um, in Canada, we are our infancy in advanced practice roles. Um, our advanced practice roles right now are under delegated practice. Now, don't get me wrong. It's it's great. It's great that, that um, if a patient comes in to see me and they look like they are surgical and they haven't had any imaging done, I can order the imaging that they need so I can facilitate them getting to the surgeon quickly. I know that uh, if a patient comes in to see me and um, and I think that they would benefit greatly from a transforaminal nerve root injection, I can both order the imaging necessary to facilitate that and I can order that I can order that injection directly without having to go to the surgeon or the family doctor. I can facilitate that injection directly. Again, this is all under delegated practice. All right. I can't do this independently, but it's a model that works right now within the hospital. I have a ton to be able to make those decisions. I don't need to pass by my decision-making past a surgeon. The surgeon has developed his trust or her trust in me, and I can make those decisions independently in terms of delegated practice. And then the most important role that we have, of course, is deciding who sees the surgeon and who doesn't see the surgeon. And that's where we're spending, you know, most of our time and saving most of our resources by making sure that people who are non-surgical never get to see a surgeon. And that helps smooth out the process for getting those who of course need surgery seen faster. And, uh, and as well, it, it helps out the surgeons because surgeons, what are they really good at? They're really good at surgery. And, and they better be, if a surgeon is really good at something else other than surgery, well, they really shouldn't be a surgeon. So we want to give them, facilitate those who need surgery to get to them now. What are we really good at? We're really great at pain neuroscience education. We're really great at prescribing active interventions. We're really great at helping people get more, more function. We're really great at helping people uh, help helping people modify activities so they can uh, have a good quality of life. So if you're non-surgical, those are the things that you need. So make sure that those people stay with the people who, who are best at that. And that's, that's very much us.
Right. You mentioned that the current model we have in Canada is in its infancy compared to what England has accomplished so far. What are the things that we are lacking? What are the things that we should be growing in, in to grow this model? Well, that's a great question because right now, as I said, my advanced practice role is not portable. All right. And that means that I'm in, I'm in an advanced practice role right now. I've proven that I can do the job, but if I leave the hospital and I go to another clinic, I can no longer do that anymore. And what we're hoping is that we will start to get individuals recognized as advanced practice providers so that they can provide that service wherever they are. And right now, that's not possible. So this autonomy of practice, having things like the ability to order imaging, the ability to order laboratory testing under the licensure of the physiotherapist so that they can do that wherever they are. Uh, other things like there are some legislative barriers to physiotherapists using real-time ultrasound, uh, which um, something our friend Jeremy Lewis in, in England that we bring over to teach a shoulder course uh, just about whatever. And uh, Jeremy is, has been an advanced practice provider for for a decade in, uh, in, in England, and he can perform ultrasound guided injections into the shoulder, which one have been shown to be much more effective than blinded injections into the shoulder. And uh, two, he can perform that in his office and uh, it, it's uh, independently. And, um, you know, a role like that is a role that's impossible for physiotherapists right now in, uh, in Ontario and in lots of parts of Canada to take on because there's some legislative of language around uh, us not being allowed to use that tool. Uh, and that would be some legislation that would have to be changed in Ontario in order to allow physiotherapists to take on a role that's more like what they're doing in England. So in answer to your question, recognizing a class of licensure for physiotherapists that is not an entry to practice physiotherapist uh, license that, that we all have right now, but a second level of licensure involves roles in advanced practice. And uh, England is there. Uh, in fact, they have, they have several levels of licensure. And right now we have one level of licensure. And I think that that's something that we strongly need to take a look at if we're going to do what we do best and and help unload this healthcare system which is in crisis right now you know allowing physiotherapists to to work to their scope full scope i guess is a little bit redundant but but to scope which would be allowing them to take on msk care and and get rid of the barriers that are not allowing us to take on that care and help unload the healthcare system so that they can do what they do best, which is not MSK care, dealing with mental health, dealing with chronic disease, uh, dealing with um, dealing with prevention, and uh, we, we, you know, we we want to take on that role and and need to look at some changes to how we practice now in order to facilitate being able to do more. So right now, that model exists within the hospital system and advanced practice. Practitioner works by being delegated these tasks. What would be the added benefits if there were independent advanced practice practitioners in the community being able to do that, as opposed to, you know, just expanding the model currently in the hospital system? Well, I'll tell you, the one thing that resonates is that, you know, that you will live longer the longer you can stay out of a hospital. There is no doubt. So some of the issues with hospital is that one, there's a finite limited amount of space. Two, nothing is close. Like my patients have to walk, have to walk like 750 meters if they get a good parking spot just to get into the front door of the hospital and get to get to my facility. It a hospital is created in order to meet the needs of the healthcare 
provider. There is very little of the hospital that was created to meet the needs of the patient. It's not welcoming. It is, uh, it is, it is sterile. It's difficult to find places. It is, um, cumbersome. It, uh, it is, uh, difficult to change your appointments. It is, uh, it is everything that an institution is. If we could get more advanced practice physiotherapists out in the community where patients are now into family healthcare teams, into um, into uh, community health centers where patients are already going and facilitate care there because there's no part of an advanced practice role that needs a hospital. What we need is access to patients. And uh, the best place to get to patients is where patients go already. And uh, we would love to see people in family healthcare teams Let's unload physicians. Um, the, 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 the terrible fact is that uh, on average in Canada, a family physician gets exposed to seven hours of, of didactic MSK education through the course of their four years of medical. Seven hours. It's not fair to ask them to manage care for things that we spend a a lifetime trying to get a better understanding of as physiotherapists. And uh, if we can get people into that family healthcare environment so that a patient calls and says, I've got a sore throat. Okay. You can see the Dr. Jones at, at, at noon. Oh, uh, I've got a sore ankle. Oh, you can see our advanced practice physiotherapist at 12. Um, and, uh, or I've got low back pain. Oh, well, you can see our advanced practice physiotherapist. Oh, I think I have a UTI. Oh, well, you can see Dr. Jones at, so let's just, let's triage care right from the get-go because we've already demonstrated that we have the skill set from a medical screening point of view that we do not misidentify people with mechanical low back pain, who should be identified as having ankylosing spondylitis, who may have a compression fracture, who might have a kind of inflammatory arthritis or an infection or some kind of uh, neurological disorder. We're great at that. And uh, we do a tremendous amount of education with that. We are safe, we are effective, and we would uh, we would do such a great role in that family healthcare team, but unfortunately, physiotherapists were not included in the legislation for family healthcare teams. So we are uh, we are barred from participating in those at this time. Another legislative barrier, unfortunately, that uh, that uh, our association is actively continuing to address. But at which point in time, we we just haven't been able to move the bar on that one. So that's what I see. Just get us, get us into the community. It does sound like being able to have advanced practice physios in the community is going to facilitate healthcare, is going to facilitate the quality of care that patient is getting. If that, why are there still legislative barriers? What are the barriers and how do we address these barriers? Well, one of the um, one of the biggest legislative barriers right now is, for instance, uh, the ability of four physiotherapists to order imaging in Ontario. That legislation's actually been written. It was uh, in Bill uh, One Seventy Nine that was submitted to to uh, provincial parliament in two thousand and nine, and was passed. And that has gone through all three readings, and all it needs to be is signed right now. Um, however, uh, there are other healthcare professionals that the ability of physiotherapists to to have the ability to order imaging as encroaching on their traditional role as a healthcare provider. Uh, also, there is a lot of, of noise, has continuously been noise about the fact that so many people with, for instance, low back pain do not need an MRI. But uh, in 2018, uh, according to Longwoods, we're wasting $25 billion a year on imaging that is unnecessary because it doesn't change the diagnosis and it does not change the plan of care. And we want to get 
next patient before they get to the family doctor because we are way less likely to order imaging because we have other skill sets because we have significantly more than seven hours of MSK education through the course of our physiotherapy career. And we do a lot of education after we get out for that. So there is some legislation around imaging. There's some legislation about laboratory testing. There's some legislation around uh, the ability to use ultrasound. Uh, there is uh, legislation around the family healthcare teams and who's allowed to be included in a family healthcare team. These are all really, really important things that um, that that we need to continue to advocate because that's going to allow us to better serve Ontarians in, in, in this specific case. We're going to cut down on the amount of imaging that's ordered. We're going to save money. We're going to facilitate best quality care for patients when they come in with acute MSK injuries, which is going to cut down on chronic MSK injuries. We're going to be able to facilitate care for people who are languishing on surgeons lists who don't need surgery at this point in time. We're going to be able to empower patients to use exercise, which we know is such an unbelievable tool for helping to manage people. I mean, if you told somebody they could take a pill that would decrease their cholesterol, decrease their blood pressure, help them manage their blood sugars, decrease depression, increase their uh, sense of well-being in general, like, would that be a hard pill to get people to take? No, not at all, right? Like exercise is medicine. And who prescribes exercise the best? Oh, we do, for sure, we do. We can help people get there. And, and exercise is such an important tool. And physicians don't, don't have time to appropriately prescribe it. It's not their fault. They have too many patients with too many chronic diseases that, you know, exercise is, uh, is, is languishing on the list of things that physicians can try to implement because they've got to worry about their meds list and they've got to worry about their diabetic neuropathy and, and foot ulcers. And there's just so many things that they have to worry about. So, you know, I could just, as I say, let us, let us help physicians do what they do best by letting us do what we do best. So, so yeah, in terms of it's moving, we're working on it. I think you heard some of the advocacy that we were working on at OPA and OPA continues to try to advocate uh, on our behalf. And, and we are hopeful that some of those are going to change. We've had some changes already, the HARPA legislation. There have been some big wins that uh, in, in the legislative changes that have happened in the last four years, but it just can't stop. Mm, for sure. So while all these advocacies and uh, lobbying efforts to try to change legislation is going on, with the current model that we have, for people who want to participate in this as an advanced practice practitioner, what do they do? We want people to want to have that goal because as uh, that's a question to try to advocate for more people to put themselves in a position so that they can take on advanced practice roles. If legislation passes and or Ontario Health decides that, much like the NHS, listen, we're in deep trouble, who can help? If we don't have a critical mass of physiotherapists that are trained and ready to go, then we can put up our hand to say that we can help, but then it's there's going to be a delay. We won't actually be able to help because we'll have to spend time training people to get up to speed so that they can provide the quality of care that that's currently being provided by other healthcare uh, health um, uh, advanced practice providers in Ontario. So, how would someone look at taking on one of these roles? Well, first of all, you need to put yourself in a position where you can compete for the job. Uh, let me ask you this, Tiffany. Um, did you become a physiotherapist and then go to physiotherapy school? Or did you go to physiotherapy school so that you could get a job as a physiotherapist? Yeah. And the answer is obvious, right? But then we end up out here right now and it goes, ah, you know, um, I want an advanced practice role. 
And then you can teach me how to be an advanced practice physiotherapist. No, <laughs> I would advocate that that is the exact opposite thing that we want to be trying to do with people. We want people to take on, to learn the competencies, imaging, laboratory testing, medical pharmacology, triage. We want you to learn those competencies so that when a position comes up, you can compete as the best possible candidate to take on that position. So we want to start building a critical mass for people. And right now, um, there are obviously, if you get hired in an advanced practice position, you will get trained, but there are not many of those positions. They're few and far between. Uh, we're hoping again for some legislative changes so that positions will open up in family healthcare teams, community healthcare centers. We'll see an expansion of the number of racks, rapid access clinics that are available. The funding for the shoulder rack just came through. So hopefully we'll see another, you know, hundred positions as a province for that. But what we want people to do is to start taking on those uh, those educational opportunities for competencies. And for instance, our company, Key Clinical Skills right now, as far as I know, is one of the few companies that are offering advanced practice training. Uh, there's certainly uh, as well, there's the uh, inflammatory arthritis advanced practice role that's run out of Toronto, but they have a very small cohort and uh, it's a fair amount of money. But we at Key Clinical Skills have got, um, have got this advanced practice package that uh, we offer to physiotherapists and we have trained all of the advanced practice physiotherapists at Vancouver Coastal Health and uh, all 12 that are there. We've trained, uh, we've trained 14 physiotherapists in Nova Scotia uh, to take on advanced practice roles. And we've trained various physiotherapists in Ontario at, um, at the racks uh, across Ontario to help get roles and help uh, and, and help educate them when, once they're in those roles. So our, our organization would be one that uh, would be able to, you'd be able to gain the competencies that you need so that the next time a role opens, you be able to compete and, and put yourself in a position where you are the most, uh, most appropriately awesome person to take on that role. For sure. Being able to do an advanced practice role well, you would need a lot of skill sets and a lot of knowledge in triaging, you know, when do you want to order imaging, pharmacology, and all of that. Would you be able to put a number for, let's say, for example, how long does someone need to go through the education and, you know, perhaps how much it would be? How much it would cost, yeah. So we, we run essentially a one-year program that includes the imaging triage, pharmacology, laboratory testing, medical screening, as well as in-person triage courses. Uh, it's a lot of online facilitated learning. And uh, that program is $2,500. And again, like I said, it's about a year long program. And we're only looking for people who already are licensed as physiotherapists. Without that baseline level of knowledge, uh, the rest of this is useless. You need to be a licensed healthcare pr practitioner for, you know, the ability to take on additional competencies. So uh, that's what we're looking at. Going back to the point of advocacy and campaigning, May is National Physiotherapy Month. And this is an episode specifically geared towards the campaign that we are doing from the CPA level. And the key message we have for the campaign is that physiotherapists are ideally positioned to lead action towards better non-pharmacological pain management as evidence-based care providers, educators, and researchers. I would like to hear your thoughts further on how physios are well-suited to provide pain management for Canadians. As that's what advanced practice providers do, that's that's an excellent question. I um, I'm going to tie it a little bit into the uh, exercises medicine because when I was uh, president DPA, uh, one year our National Physiotherapy Month was uh, focused on exercises medicine, and uh, and I think that ties in nicely with the role that physiotherapists play in pain management. Um, so, the best way to avoid getting chronic pain is to manage acute pain effectively. And uh, one of the roles that we have and in terms of advanced practice is that we're, we're facilitating care 
for Canadians, Ontarians, who normally would wait two and a half years to see a surgeon about their back pain, we're getting to them within weeks of the onset of their back pain. So when we look at things like um, the start low back pain outcome measure developed by Keele University, which helped identify people who are most at risk for developing chronic low back pain. That's a tool that we use on every single person that comes in so that we know who we need to focus our pain neuroscience education on early so that we can help, so that we can help facilitate people getting active again and not falling into that chronic pain cycle. And uh, just the fact that we can facilitate the seeing patients rapidly is our, our most fantastic tool that we can use in pain management for Canadians. Uh, because if we can make sure that people do not develop abnormal tendencies towards pain, like fear avoidance, catastrophization, if we can modify the modifiable yellow flags that people often exhibit that do go on to develop chronic pain, then that's where we can be effective in helping to manage uh, pain for Canadians is in that role, getting to patients fast and making sure that we identify those patients who would benefit the most from pain neuroscience education. Uh, one of the other roles that we have is that unfortunately, Keele University identified the yellow flags for people who were most likely to develop chronic pain. But the other thing that they found in their study was that people who did not initially exhibit any yellow flags that put them at risk for chronic pain could start to exhibit some yellow flags further down the track. And that uh, it's important to, for instance, use that start low back pain outcome measure on each appointment that you have with a patient because you need to identify those people who are starting to develop yellow flags that uh, so that you can start focusing some pain neuroscience education with those people as well. So we use that, we, we follow a patient usually more than once and uh, so that we can identify those for whom the recovery process is not going as smoothly as it could. And we can intervene there as uh, as quickly as possible in order to try to uh, facilitate breaking them out of that, that chronic pain cycle. One of, the, um, one of the other great roles that we have is being a sounding board for primary care physicians for helping to decide what pharmacological interventions do help the most. And unfortunately, patients with neurological, neurogenic related pain, leg pain that come in to see us, they are on things like tramadol and, and they're on uh, tramaset. They're on, sometimes they're on Oxycontin. Other times they're just on anti-inflammatories and uh, Tylenol. And, and those are medications which are meant for anti-inflammation, for analgesics, but they're not medication that's meant for nerve membrane stabilization for helping with nerve related pain coming from the back and to try to educate and help primary care physicians around use of gabapentin uh, or Lyrica or pregabalin uh, is often really, really helpful for patients. It helps gets them, it gets them away from opioids, but what's more is it helps them with their constant chronic leg related pain. And, and when we can help them with their leg related pain, they can be more active. And if they can be more active, they're more likely to get better. So we have that great, fantastic role to play. Um, as well, uh, in, um, and this, this, this comes to bear in a lot of the courses that Jack and I teach currently with key clinical skills, we're very much of a mind of, of back pain uh, related to the goal-oriented classification system. And that's um, if you have mechanical low back pain and you're stiff, then we should help you move better. If you have mechanical low back pain and you're quite hypermobile, then we should help you move better, not more, better. If you have leg pain, 
that gets worse with sitting and better with walking, well, you have a directional preference. So we should apply a directional preference approach. If you have back pain that's worse with walking and leg pain that's worse with walking and better with sitting, well, we need to approach that from a stenotic point of view. There is no one single intervention which is appropriate for every type of low back pain. Low back pain is just like medicine in terms of um, if, if I told you that medicine does not work for infection, well, you would probably disagree. But you know, if I said uh, my physician prescribed an anti-inflammatory for my bacterial lung infection, would that be an appropriate medication? No, it wouldn't. What's appropriate for bacterial pneumonia? Well, an antibiotic is appropriate for that. So if my physician puts me a medication, but the medication isn't appropriate, then nothing good is going to happen. And it's the same with back pain. If you apply a directional preference of extension to someone who doesn't have a directional preference of extension, then they won't get better. And it's not that physiotherapy didn't work for low back pain. It's that that intervention wasn't appropriate for back pain. The intervention needed might've been core stabilization. The intervention needed might've been you know, hip mobilization. The intervention needed might've been pain neuroscience. So there is no one treatment that helps with low back pain because low back pain is not one uniform classification of pathology. You can have many, many different types of low back pain. And that's where an advanced practice physiotherapist can help a lot with pain management because we're going to help classify what kind of low back pain you have and help you, the patient empower you to use the appropriate intervention to help that person with their low back pain. Because at three o'clock in the morning, I don't want them calling me. I want them to have strategies in order to help them manage their own symptoms. And then what's more is that if a patient's recovery process is not going well, then they're under our management, they're already seeing the person who can help facilitate some less conservative interventions, for instance, like an epidural injection or transforaminal nerve root injection, or facilitate seeing a, a surgeon or a uh, chronic pain clinic for some psychosocial interventions. So we're able to help facilitate those things. So both from a prevention point of view, a pain neuroscience point of view, empowering the patient with the tools that they need in order to help their own pain, really, really heavily emphasizing the role, appropriate role of exercise in pain management and also in pain reduction and prevention further on down the track. And then we've got these great tools, which your average family or or your physiotherapist in the community does not have and these access to to more um interventional uh interventional um uh treatments for for pain so you know that's that's how we're helping uh patients with pain in ontario in canada and we're also working with um facilitating care in the community, often partnering with a physiotherapist or a chiropractor that a patient's already seen to try to help them give the appropriate type of care, which hasn't worked because the patient was sent to see us because things weren't working. So we're here to help. Mm -hmm. So what I'm understanding about how advanced practice physios can help is let's say, for example, a patient presents with acute low back pain and they come to see you. One of the things that you do with them is to administer the stark scale to see if they have a risk of developing chronic pain. And if there are, then you would use preventative strategies to stop them from de developing chronic pain. And if there are not a risk of developing chronic low back pain, you would give them self-management strategies and also having follow-up visits so that they can be discharged without low back pain? Yeah, so that we can monitor their, their recovery. And uh, yes, our role is to eventually, our, our role is to discharge them. We're, we're only allowed to see them a, uh, a very limited number of times. We take on more of a, more of a primary care role with them 
we might them four times over the course of a year. So it's not a very intensive relationship. But yeah, I think you're right. I mean, one thing is that we use pain neuroscience management interventions so that we can take people who are at risk for chronic pain and help them see how intervention strategies can help them. We might not treat, we might, the intervention might not be different between someone who has uh, some yellow flags for chronic pain development versus someone who doesn't, the, the, the actual intervention might not be any different. It might be exactly the same, but the pain neuroscience education is necessary to get that patient, you know, to the, the place where they understand that, yeah, this, this can help me. And, uh, that, that's the difference, right? Mm-hmm. So we talked about how advanced practice can address acute pain. Do you see a role in advanced practice in terms of addressing chronic pain? Well, and I, I should uh, I should very much um, I should very much uh, editorialize here just a wee bit. Um, we can't see anyone until that symptoms for at least six weeks. So first, they're managed in the community because we would get overwhelmed as well. Most, most back pain gets better, right? So it's only if that they're, it's not going well in the community, we will see them at the six, eight week mark. If they failed in the community, they've gone back to their family doctor saying, this isn't working. The family doctor will then send them to see us. So we don't see a lot of, uh, we don't see acute pain in the first six weeks, uh, but we do see it. We're trying to see it before it, it becomes chronic. All right. And, uh, to try to facilitate uh, trying to to make sure that it it doesn't get chronic. So we are primarily in the role of managing pain that has not gone away. So I would say our role is very much in that chronic stage because acute low back pain, 65% of that's going to go away in six to eight weeks anyway. So our role is in the pain that hasn't gone away in the in the first six to eight weeks. So we're almost exclusively in that in that gateway between acute to chronic pain and managing people who are not getting better. So that's that's where we sit right now. And I I, I apologize if I wasn't clear about that earlier. Mm-hmm. Thanks for the clarification. So there is a very important role to play for advanced practice physios to see referrals from family physicians for those who have low back pain for longer than six weeks. And we've talked a lot about low back pain. I wonder if you can touch a little bit more on advanced practice physios addressing, let's say, hip and knee pain and what other areas can advanced practice physios play? My background very much is in the MSK world, and there are other there are other roles for advanced practice therapists out there. Don't get me wrong, but where I see us making the biggest difference right now and for the next ten years is in that space between the family physician and the orthopedic surgeon because it's a vacuum. Nobody waits three years for heart surgery. Nobody waits three years for heart surgery. You get heart surgery when you need heart surgery, but people wait three years for a total knee joint replacement. So my best right now is in terms of the roles that advanced practice physiotherapists can play in that orthopedist realm. You know, can they work with rheumatologists? Absolutely. Can they work in pediatrics? Without a doubt. Cardiology? Room, yes, yeah, absolutely. But where can we make the biggest difference? I feel right now in our healthcare system, it's in that MSK role. So I've also had the pleasure of being able to work in the rapid access clinic for hip and knee pain. And, and so I have seen patients with knee pain who uh, who bring in, uh, who, who we do our uh, history on and they bring in their imaging and we assess them to see whether or not they would be uh, appropriate for, for pursuing a, a total joint replacement at that time. And we basically see a breakdown of 33% of people need, um, need a joint replacement now. 33% of people don't need a joint replacement at all. And 33% of people will likely need one, but we can facilitate 
them enjoying a great quality of life for a year, two years, several years further on down the track before they eventually need to get that done. So the role that we play there is, again, making sure that people who don't need a joint replacement don't get on the list. And I think even more importantly, people who don't need a joint replacement right now don't just sit on the list until they need a joint replacement. We're going to help them with exercise, perhaps getting injections and some pharmacology in, in cohort with their family physician, because again, this is all under delegated practice where we're working with the family physician to make sure that those people who don't need a joint replacement now can improve their function and the health of their knee and their quality of life so that they don't languish just waiting to see a surgeon. They can take back their life because let's face it, baby boomers that in 2012, the first baby boomer turned 65 and, uh, and we, that's, that, that's, we're see, that, that's such a huge part of the population and, uh, and what do boomers want to do? They, they worked hard all their lives. They want to enjoy their life. And uh, they don't want to uh, not be able to golf or not be able to play pickleball or not be able to do whatever it is that they want to do. They want to do things. And uh, the rapid access clinic uh, empowers them to be able to do things. And uh, I think that that's the greatest part of our role because before they would just wait three or four years until the surgeon was ready to see them, but they would wouldn't necessarily be pursuing the interventions that would improve the quality of life in the meantime while they're waiting. And in some cases, help them put off ever needing a, a total joint replacement. Um, uh, and, uh, and, and I mean, that's, those are some great stories that we're seeing. Some other roles, uh, like I said, the rapid access funding for the shoulder was uh, recently released by the Ontario government. And we're going to have to see how that rolls out right now. Um, in Ottawa, for instance, there's a rapid access uh, clinic for foot and ankle pain uh, that we see. In Toronto, there are some examples of, um, of advanced practice physiotherapists working with, uh, with neck pain. Uh, and uh, so we see the gamut from all the way from, from here, all the way down to... <laughs> Sorry, it's a podcast. All the way from the neck, all the way down to the foot, uh, with advanced practice physiotherapists having roles in terms of the management of this. Um, MSK pain is um, is a serious problem, which I personally think hasn't been taken that seriously because uh, a sore knee will not be you for thirty years until you are obese have high cholesterol because you haven't been able to walk and you have diabetes. And now that knee will eventually kill you. And what we want to do is we want to, we want to intervene early in MSK pain so that we can help avoid some of those serious consequences of decreased activity, because it's not knee pain that does it. It's decreased activity, not being able to walk, not being able to bike, not being able to be active, that causes hypertension, cholesterol, diabetes, and will eventually cost you your life. And, uh, and the only way to avoid that is, and let's say the best way to avoid that is with activity, exercise. And so MSK care was initially put on the back burner because not like the heart or the lungs or the kidney or the liver, a sore knee is not going to kill you right there and then. But what we're realizing is that a sore knee may cost the healthcare system an exorbitant amounts of money further on, on down track. So when we talk about downstream costs and upstream costs, you know, some costs, some downstream costs where um, that that uh, we're having to deal with hypertension and diabetes and bypass surgery and, and diabetes medication, whereas upstream, if we'd spent some money on helping people to prevent those kinds of things by intervening with those MSK conditions that were, uh, that were starting to limit their activity, then we can really have some positive impacts down on um, 
the cost, the spending that we're doing in healthcare on the uh, on imaging and on um, chronic disease management in general. So, coming to the last part of the interview, I would like to talk a little bit about the Canadian Pain Task Force. Ultimately, the heart of Paincast to facilitate conversation around pain and physiotherapy is to downstream impact patients' lives because pain really plays a significant role in quality of life. And according to the Canadian Pain Task Force report released in 2021, there's an estimated of 7.6 million or one in five people across the lifespan living with chronic pain in Canada. And I was reading through the task force report and I see very minimal discussion of the role of physiotherapy in managing pain for Canadians. Why is that? And how do we get more of the discussion going? Well, in, in terms of that, the task force, as you rightfully point out, is a very uh, physician-centric uh, task force. And it also looks at uh, it also unfortunately has to spend a lot of time looking at uh, managing chronic pain for how it exists now. And uh, it's very, very difficult in order to facilitate that upstream care, because if you spend money to improve someone's quality of life 20 to 30 years from now, that doesn't get you reelected. So it, it that's difficult. And so the, um, the chronic pain task force was a, um, was a facilitated task force, uh, sponsored tax task force in order to take a critical look at how we're managing, uh, and, and hopefully what strategies we can start to use to better manage. But, um, but expanding the scope of that task force to look at, uh, to better look at all first contact healthcare professionals uh, would help that task force uh, meet its its needs. As I talked about, if we can get the appropriate healthcare practitioner intervening upstream before we develop all of chronic disease, that's where I see physiotherapists being able to help the most. Again, why physicians, unfortunately, are required for chronic disease management. There's no way around it. Would we like physicians to take on the role of prevention? Absolutely. But right now, they're swamped with chronic disease management. We can take on that role of prevention, especially in chronic MSK pain. We can, we can take on that role. We are, I would argue, the best placed healthcare practitioner to take on that upstream role. And again, to talk about how uh, that joint pain task force, if we could, if we could get them to both look at with the resources that we have, how do we manage what we've got and how do we effectively help with managing some of those stream costs that are going to come later, let's look at putting physiotherapists in that role for prevention, education, for chronic MSK pain. And uh, so it would be great to see the task force take a broader view of, um, of who is currently doing pain management. Because the last time I checked, uh, there's not a single patient that ever came in to see me because uh, they were stiff or they, they were weak or they were not good at soccer. They came to see me because their knee didn't move. They had pain down their arm. They couldn't bend their ankle to run. Like they come in because of pain. That's why 99% of people come to see physiotherapists. It's not like we don't treat that every single day. It's almost exclusively what we treat. Whereas ironically, family physicians treat things like, like diabetes and liver cirrhosis and all kinds of things, which don't necessarily cause pain at that point in time, but we're always dealing with people with pain. And uh, I think that, um, again, 
trying to, as often as I can, you know, put up my hand and say, hey, we can help with that. We can help with that. And it's not about telling the pain task force that, that oh, you, you didn't do this and you didn't do that. It's not about complaining. It's about providing workable, manageable, efficient, and economically feasible solutions. And my solution is, hey, we can help with that. And uh, we are a really, really well-based uh, healthcare profession, independent first contact healthcare profession that's, um, that is extremely efficacious with the management of MSK pain. So, you know, that's my, that's my, that's my roundabout way of talking about the joint task force uh, report. Wrapping up the interview, is there anything that we missed? Any final or concluding thoughts you would like to provide to the audience? Uh, no, I think you, you've done a great job in, uh, in, in, uh, in facilitating us discussing this particular topic. I, um, I would uh, like to end on, on the same note, which I just talked about. And that is uh, as physiotherapists, our best advocacy tools are about providing solutions, workable solutions, uh, not complaining about this, that, or the other thing. It's about presenting solutions to help manage the healthcare needs of Ontarians, to help unload family physicians so that they can do what they do best, to help specialists see those people that they can help the most. And uh, I see that as, as our role, putting up our hand to say, yes, we can help. And I see one of the best ways of doing that is uh, people deciding that they are ready to take on some advanced practice educational opportunities to help them develop their competencies so that if and when the opportunity presents, they're going to be well positioned to take on these these roles, these opportunities as they as they come up. And I am I am confident that we are going to see more and more of these roles in both Ontario and across Canada. And uh, I look forward to being able to help people get ready to take on those roles. I am equally excited in the potential of how the model will evolve and grow and being able to address the needs of patients a lot better than we are currently doing now. One last question. Can you provide our audience? How do they learn more about what you're doing currently? How do they connect with you if interested? It'd be great. Happy to connect with anyone interested in this evolving advanced practice role. Can be reached at uh, www.keyclinskills.ca, K-E-Y-C-L-I-N, S-K-I-L-L-S dot C-A. And uh, I am, uh, I am a, you can, you can reach me through our website, Keeklin Skills. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Rob, for spending so much time talking about this very important topic and providing our audience an understanding of why advanced practice physio are important and we're well suited in addressing Canadians with pain. I wish you all the best and to our audience, all the best to you as well. Thank you for having me.